It's the Totally Football Show, European edition, keeping you content with our continental content. Albano there serenading Mikitarian during his uh, Venetian nuptials and uh, Volari the word of the day on this final day of the European transfer window with players jetting off to exciting new clubs and Antwerp while here at Totally everybody's back from their travels. We've got uh, in the house Raphael Honigstein. Hi James. Julian Laurent. Hi James. James Horncastle. Hello. And Alvaro Romeo. Hello, hello. Big questions ahead of us, Alvaro. We've got transfer window. We've got Champions League draw. How exciting was that last week? And, of course, we've got football games. But with Albano there trilling away with his volare, let's just focus, first of all, on today's dramatic news from the transfer market. There's been a lot to choose from. Mkhitaryan to Roma. Falcao to Galatasaray. But I think most of all, no Neymar to Spain, but most of all, Icardi to Paris Saint-Germain. Jules, how on earth is that going to work? <laughs> I don't know, James. We were talking about it with James before the show. They wanted another striker because Cavani has been injured a lot in the last six months, let's say, and he's currently injured as well. So is Kylian Mbappé. Cavani has only one year left on his contract, so there's already maybe, in Leonardo's mind, the idea of preparing the, the post-Cavani era, if you want, so finding a, a replacement for him. As currently, there's no talk about a new, uh, uh, an extension deal for Cavani. So Cavani could be, that could be his last season. So you need someone to come in after him. And obviously they play Real Madrid in, in what, three weeks time, let's say, in the Champions League with no Neymar who's suspended, without Cavani and, and Mbappe who are injured or will be just back from injury. So the idea of having Choupo-Moteng starting against Real Madrid was scary enough. Enough to bring Mauro Cardi, Wanda Nara and all the, the clique to Paris. Yeah, that is scary. Not as scary as the thought of a locker room containing Neymar, Cavani, Mbappe and now Icardi. It's astounding because I think aside from all the kind of technical reasons that Jules has uh, laid forward in front of us, ultimately one of the reasons for moving Neymar on was because of how bad his kind of influence on the dressing room was. And they're essentially going to be, well, not only replacing him, but partnering him with someone who is leaving his club because Inter have decided that enough's enough. They don't want any more of the, the Icardi's show. Um, they're fed up with it. So slightly bizarre from PSG. I think in, from Inter's point of view, they are thrilled to have found a potential buyer because at the moment it's a loan and they have an option to buy him for $65 million at the end of the, the season. Inter also looking to extend Icardi's contract because at the end of, of uh, next season, he will go into the final year of his deal and they want to avoid a situation in which he runs it down and maybe go somewhere else for free, like Juventus. But yeah, it's flabbergasting, mm. really. But again, we, we, we're coming off a week in which it has been revealed that Icardi has taken legal action against Inter seeking one and a half million euros in damages. So... His lawyer has, I think, come out today and said that if he gets a move, they will drop that legal action. 
Well, uh, we're waiting for confirmation of that move to Paris, but it's really, really exciting and a bit bonkers. More as the show progresses, but uh, let's head off and start our roundup of the weekend's action in Italy. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. James, you just come back from Italy. Yeah, I literally passed Mkhitaryan in arrivals lounge going to departures. Did you actually? No. Okay. But we, we did go through the airport at the same time. So. Right. How many people were waiting for you at the airport? For me? Yeah. What, when I got back? Well, yeah, there or back. Anyone? No one. No, okay. no one. I did, that's, get, that's I did get spotted in the, in the ticket queue at the Roma game, though. Oh, oh yeah? See? Hello to those lovely Americans and Colin Blackmore, trustee from the British School of Rome, who was there getting their tickets. Yeah. That's nice, isn't there it? Uh, incredible scenes. We mentioned Falcao's move to... Um, Galatasaray, incredible scenes at the airport there. Sorry, we're kind of getting off the thing, but did you see, George? Yeah, 25,000 people. 25,000. Even Falcao's wife was jumping up and down. In a season, he wouldn't get that at Monaco, no? (laughs) No, in a game, a single game. (laughs) The stadium is 18,000, so (laughs) in one and a half (laughs) games. Is it the Brazilian Falcao? To be fair, 25,000 is more than the people who live in Monaco in the winter, so... Okay. Uh, All right, anyway, really, really exciting. We'll um, we'll, we'll do a proper Turkish section soon to find out about how he's settling in. But sorry, right, so you went to Italy and you saw two absolutely huge games. Let's talk about the big one on Saturday night, Juventus against Napoli. Well, more than lived up to its billing. In, In some respects, picked up from where Serie A left off last week with that crazy game between Napoli, again... Um, and Fiorentina and this game I think was amazing just how quickly it turned for both teams Um, because first half you had had Napoli go up the Juventus end Allen put in a really good shot Chesney saves it and then from the corner Juventus go up the other end and score and then within the blink of the eye they've doubled their lead and it looks dead. That was the second goal, Higuain, a fantastic strike against his former club. Perma Higuain, dribbling Higuain, un gol pazzesco, il ruggito del Pipita, dribbling secco ai danni di Koulibaly su un fazzoletto di terreno e poi... Superb centre-forward play from Higuain. I think it was less a mistake from Koulibaly, it was all about Higuain and... I would say less a story that he scored against his former club. Um, I think more a story that he's playing for a, a team that we all thought was his former club in Juventus. And he's now back and very much seen as the number nine for this team. Um, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere. And he's won his battle with Juventus, which was to dig his heels in when he got back from Chelsea. I'm not going anywhere, even though they tried and tried to sell him. And he's been brilliant for the first two games. Cristiano Ronaldo then with the third goal. And then what happened? What? Well, Then uh, the crowd at the Juventus Stadium started singing one of the most famous Neapolitan songs. Uh, Oi vita, oi vita mia. And by the time they got to the end of the first verse, Napoli had gone up the other end and scored. Incredible. (laughs) And then, within uh, again, two minutes later, they scored again. Prior to the game actually kicking off, Juve skipper Giorgio Collini Mm. had injured himself in training, ACL injury. Uh, Lord knows when he's going to be back because he's he's pretty advanced age. He's thirty-five. Right. Uh, it's fair to say that his absence was noticeable in this second half. Yeah, I mean, Chiellini, remember last week, was the man of the match for Juventus in the one win against Parma. He was the match winner as well. He got the only goal and he's the captain of this team. And he is yeah, still seen as someone who's very important to them and was going to be basically having De Ligt as his apprentice. And all of a sudden, De Ligt is thrown into this game didn't play last week and it's a massive game and for the first hour he didn't really have anything to do because Napoli was so bad and then 
he had quite a lot to do and he didn't deal with it very well. And I think it's there's been quite a lot of knee-jerk reactions to this. Oh, they've spent 75 million on this 19-year-old. You know, what what does he know? Let's not forget that his debut for Holland didn't go very well either. And then since then, he's he's gone on to be probably the preeminent centre-back of that generation coming through. So I'm sure he'll bounce back from it. And at the end of the day, he wasn't even the worst centre-half on the pitch because that was Khalid Koulibaly even more. Would you just... say? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, he settles the game with a, a really unfortunate, basically scuffs his attempts to clear the... Uh... I think Koulibaly had a difficult game. And you know, Ancelotti said afterwards that he obviously came back late from the African Cup of Nations. Uh-huh. He missed the final with Senegal and that was a final that they lost. And I think that's taken a bit of time to get over but yeah I mean I think Koulibaly certainly in Turin was the story on, on, on that night because ultimately Juventus win the winners get to write the history about it and um, and that was the classy moment at the end where Chiellini who decided to attend the game actually sit in the dugout with crutches right. went onto the pitch and had a word in Koulibaly's ears saying you're a great defender don't worry about it you'll get over it but so. what a game 3-0 up Juve then Napoli put it back to 3-3 and in the 92nd minute their own defensive star. Well, uh, we talked about Delict making his debut, but there are other players making their debut. Danilo scored 29 seconds uh, <laughs> into his debut after coming on for Di Chilio. Um, and then Lozano came on and really helped Napoli change the game um, because just his movement, his pace caused Delict all kinds of problems. Um, all of a sudden, that Juventus defence had to deal with two strikers. Um, and Mertens, who'd been anonymous in the first half, practically because he was he was isolated, had a partner, um, and they really managed to spread that Juventus defence, get him behind it and unnerve uh, a lot of people. I mean, Do you think Lozano would be played as a second striker more than on the wing? Do you think that's the idea going forward or he was just because of the context of that game at halftime? I like the idea that he can play left through the middle, right. It doesn't really matter where you play him and this has kind of been a big part of their recruitment is just signing universal players. Universal players like Fernando Lorente, who's just yeah. put pen to paper for, for yeah. Napoli. Is that going to be a good signing, do you think? Well, look, I mean, he's a, he's a kind of player that they don't have. I mean, everyone looks at Lorente and his size and thinks target man, but he's not. He's someone who essentially acts as a, a wall to bounce the ball off. And, yeah, they don't have anyone like him. So it's just another option for Carlo Ancelotti, um, along with you know, the strikers that he's got at the moment. Mertens has been starting games against Fiorentina and Juventus, and then there is Milik, who's been injured um, so far. But you've got three very different strikers there. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons why they've ended up going for, for Llorente. Well, it's really a night for you in Turin, and you followed that up with a very exciting time in Rome, at the Rome derby. Yeah, that was just as crazy, particularly for the first half. Both teams hit the post in a total six times. Um, and within the first five minutes, uh, you'd seen Lever hit the woodwork, Zaniola hit the woodwork. Um, it was a really open game, which is something you don't usually see uh, in the Rome derby because often what kind of takes priority is not losing, um, which in the end, neither team lost. Um, but yeah, Lazio had... 21 shots. Um, I think one of the big stories was what was going on whilst the game was going on, which was the Kudva Nord put on the scenographia, a big choreography in memoriam for the Capo Ultra, Fabrizio Piscitelli. Diabolic. Diabolic, who was um, slain, essentially, in on a park bench the beginning of August, shot in the back of a head. Um, and for the first 45 minutes, the Lazio Ultras did not... Um, sing a single song they did not chant for the team 
Why? Because no one from the club, none of the players had offered their condolences wow. for, uh, for Diabolic. So what was the suggestion about why the wet job might have been taken out on him? Well, there's a very good article by Tobias Jones in The Guardian about this. I'd recommend you go and look at it. But you could say that he was involved in the criminal underworld in Rome. So they've yet to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. Um, but mm. Curious how many times there's a nexus between the Capo Ultras <laughs> and, the, and that side of things. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about uh, one or two other stories. A, a massive one from Sunday night uh, with Romelu Lukaku, one of the many players that... Uh, Man United has decided to repopulate Serie A with, uh, making his second outing for Inter away at Cagliari, stepping up to take what was to turn out to be the winning penalty for the team, but getting uh, abuse from a racist chance from uh, an element of the, the crowd there in, in Cagliari. Yeah, and uh, it's a pattern of behaviour now. Um, I think we've seen um, over uh, a number of years, be it Samueletu, uh, Muntari, uh, Matuidi. Kane last year as Kane well. Kane last year. Um, that, unfortunately, black players, when they go and play at the Sardinia Arena, they tend to get abused by an element of the support there. And we haven't really seen the club in the past take it seriously. Uh, they've made excuses. We haven't seen the league take it seriously in terms of the punishments that they uh, have imposed. But Calgary have come out um, today and they seem to have learnt their lesson. Um, belatedly from what happened with, with Moisey Ken when they were very criticised for their handling of that and saying that you know, the club underlines once again its intention is to identify, isolate and ban those ignorant individuals whose shameful actions and behaviour completely against those values that Calories uh, strongly promotes. Well, hopefully they follow up on that and hopefully above all the Liga takes some, some action. Has um, Leo Bonucci spoken up about why it's Lukaku's fault yet or not? No, no. <laughs> That was, I think, a heat of the moment flash interview after the game. Yes, regrettable. Not the reason Moisey Ken left um, right. uh, Juventus, uh, despite people speculating that was the reason on social media. But uh, what I should say is that there are a number of clubs in Serie A who have introduced these uh, these cameras, these Panamera cameras, which allow kind of facial recognition. Uh-huh. Juventus, in fact, they've brought in more in the last week. Uh, Udinese, um, Sassuolo in particular... And you know, these cameras are expensive, but goal line technology costs twice that figure to, to introduce. And not all the clubs have them. And that kind of technology makes it so much easier to identify and then take action against individuals who commit these kind of, well, essentially, it's, it's, it's a hate crime. You know? right. It's um, racist abuse. So, you know, come on, get your wallets out and introduce, introduce more of this technology. Into winning that game 2-1, another fine performance from Stefano Sensi. Oh who was uh, among Compared the... with Iniesta on uh, Sky Italia commentary. <laughs> was he? Yes. Was he? And a great... The, the previous Monday, a game that, that came after we were recording last week, when uh, Inter kind of started their season with a massive 4-1 win against Lecce, which also saw Lukaku score. And it, I mean, it's looking good for their revitalised role in the title race. Yeah, and um, after the, the Juventus-Napoli game, one of the reactions was, ah, the title race is over already. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. It's not just Juventus and Napoli. There is, there is Inter. And I think it's clear that... Yeah, just from listening to what the players were saying after that 4-0 win against Lecce, they lose De Vrij in the warm-up and Ranocchia comes in. And all of a sudden you think, oh, that's a weak defence now. And Ranocchia plays a great game. Same with Candreva last, uh, last um, year. He was seen as, um, yeah, he was booed by the fans, thought he needs to go. Um, he's, he's one of the reasons holding into back. He scores that absolute screamer and he's, uh, against Lecce and he's been 
playing brilliant under Conte. And this is the thing, his, his ability to revitalise players who seem like lost causes and just give players a purpose and a plan. Candreva afterwards was saying it's so much easier when you go into a game and it's been broken down in so much detail for you that you know if one thing doesn't work, you've got another option and another option and another option and it makes me play a lot better. And I think although the, the performance against Cagliari was not up to the same standards as the Lecce one, I think Inter will run events very close. What do you think Antonio Conte's effect will be on Alexis Sanchez? Well, I mean, he was saying, look, I remember the Sanchez that we saw at Barcelona and Arsenal. And, you know, I just think it's been a blip for him at United mm. and we need to get him up to up to speed again. Um, I just think they've already got some pretty good talent up there. Uh, Lautaro Martinez, um, who scored, scored again. Yeah. You know, I think he's a really smart player. And look, they're going to be playing across three fronts. Judging by Conte's comments after the game last night, it did feel that he sees their front duo mm. uh, going forward once Alexis is fit as being Lukaku and Alexis. Really? That's yeah. interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about Inter and their prospects in the Champions League later when we discuss the draw, which didn't go too uh, easily for the Nerazzurri. But up next, Rafa, a bit of storm and drang in the Bundesliga. I'm Roger Giggs, and I want to talk to you about loyalty. I've always lived a loyal life, always drinking the same pub. Bitter? Not anymore, Pam. Champagne, please. Never missed a training session in my life. Always go to the same gym. Come on, Rod. Think of someone that makes you angry. No one comes to mind. Problem is, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Thanks, Paddy. Paddy Power's Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Akanji, nicht gut. Anderson, nochmal gegen Akanji. Und der wackelt schon wieder. Anderson, Birki. Und das ist Bilter zum zweiten Marius Bilter. Rafa, tears in Dortmund's eyes, tears from an onion. After Dortmund, the league leaders, and your tip for the title... Went to see everybody's favourite organic homemade hand knitted Bundesliga outfit, Onion Berlin, and lost. What on earth happened? Tears from pepper spray as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Went into yeah. the uh, Dortmund section and uh, were very indiscriminate in their use of were they? pepper spray. Uh, some very unsightly scenes. Um, and perhaps a reminder that um, for all the cuddly loveliness of Union, they still have some fans who were quite happy for a bit of aggro. So they were clambering onto the roof to try and get the Dortmund banners, is that right? Yes, have you read that somewhere? Yeah, I did, yeah. in your excellent piece yeah. on The Athletic, yes, thank in you. which you explained how it was that Union's first ever Bundesliga win came against a team that I think was widely regarded as massive favourites in this fixture. Absolutely, Dortmund went into this uh, as the league leaders. Um, after two games, um, they'd played some really beautiful football. They'd coped really well with some adverse situations in those games before and just when you felt you know they have their act together and they play some really good stuff through most spells of the first half they kind of crumble and, and break apart in the second and very difficult to explain because the goals they conceded were so basic and came from corners came from people not being picked up and all these things that they thought they had addressed with the signing of of Mats Hummels sort of came back to haunt them, combined with the sense that this is a team that can be got at, that they're a little bit um, vulnerable, they're a little bit fragile, that 
when things don't go according to the plan with their beautiful, very statically pleasing football, mm. uh, they can slump to, to a level where the likes of Union Berlin can beat them. And Michel Zorc, the sports director afterwards, said, well, this was the game that reminded me of our second half of the season last year. Right. Um, and a real sort of a fall back, if you will, to the, the bad times uh, that they thought they'd left behind. And worrying because it ultimately goes back, I think, to Lucien Favre. If you've seen some of the um, series uh, episodes from uh, the documentary that's on Amazon right now, he comes across as the man he is, which is very softly spoken, very professorial. And you just wonder if that kind of almost technocratic approach is right for a team that really wants to win the title this year. Now, of course, without him and his, his great coaching, they wouldn't have been in the conversation last year. So we shouldn't um, necessarily say this is an either-or situation. But I know for sure that within the club, there are these doubts that you know maybe he has not quite cut out for this sort of huge ambition that Dortmund have and have publicly made this year, which is to win the title. Maybe they need to be a bit more disgusting. A bit like the team they yeah. faced this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that was, was Fisher's comment, which is uh, meant in a positive sense. You know, we were very hard to live with. We were eklig, he said in German. Eklig. Eklig, yeah, which was does translate as disgusting. And But they weren't just disgusting. They were also really efficient up front. They were smart with the way that they crafted some of those chances. The, the first goal was from a really uh, well-worked corner that you could see that it worked on on a training pitch. I mean, not, you know, not rocket science cutting a low cross back from the corner and someone ghosting in Marius Bilter and, uh, and shooting just from inside the D. But still, Dortmund weren't ready for it, didn't anticipate it, and they took their chances supremely well and now feel as if they really might have a future in the Bundesliga because they have beaten, if not the best, and certainly the second best team in the league. Their goal-scoring hero, the, the man who got the brace, Marius Bulter. Bülter, yeah. Bülter, uh, who 15 months ago was playing in, in amateur football. Is that right? Yeah, I mean... And was that at Red Star Belgrade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that low. Okay. Not that low. Uh, not with the plumbers <laughs> of Belgrade. <laughs> yeah. But the whole of Union, I mean, um, this is a team that have now played three games at this level. And to come up against Dortmund uh, and beat them, was uh, not just a surprise, but the sort of result that um, I think will make them really believe that they've got a chance of staying up. A lot of people rated them fairly highly. I still think that they might might struggle, but this was the sort of performance um, that will, I think, make a lot of teams fearful when it comes to going to Alte Försterei and about the atmosphere and the kind of fight that they have to be ready for. Dortmund weren't on Saturday night. RB Leipzig didn't have any such problems when they went to Berlin. They they had a, a four 0 win, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they, they ultimately were very comfortable with the with Union's approach, but um, Dortmund weren't. And now we've got a huge um, match day coming up because it is Bayern against Leipzig, and it's Dortmund against Leverkusen. So the Ooh. top four team, even if they're not top four on the table, right? The top four teams in the league all up against each other, and a lot of I think big answers coming, uh, even though it is still early in the season. Okay, about uh, a. The chances of Leipzig, who have a perfect record at the moment, who have Patrick Timo, mm. yeah, Patrick Schick, yeah, yeah, coming as well, who have Timo Werner scoring a hat trick, looking really sharp um, after renewing his contract, which was a bit of a surprise because uh, Bayern thought, and I think he, perhaps more importantly, thought that there was some agreement 
uh, in place for him to go, but Bayern never made a bid for him. So in the end, he renewed his contract and he looks very, very sharp. Uh, and of course, Nagelsmann beginning to have a real impact. And, you know, people are saying Leipzig with Nagelsmann, with the sort of improvement that they've, uh, that he's brought to uh, Hoffenheim before, maybe they're going to be real contenders this year. And uh, I think the Bayern game will give us a huge point in that direction. RB currently in first place. Bayern, meanwhile, coming off a 6-1 win against Mainz. They went behind, but then six different Bayern players finding the net. Yeah, well, Benjamin Pavard made a mistake to let in Boetius from across and then made amends by getting the equaliser. Good as goal you said, as well. Yeah, yeah, very good goal on the, on the, on the half volley. I think Different. it was his first one since that incredible goal in the World Cup. Which one? His first professional goal? I think since oh, the World Cup. Yeah. Which 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 one? Which one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jules. Oh, sorry. Jules. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Where have you been, Jules? No, no, no. I just thought... For, yeah. Right. Um, World Cup winning Jules. Well, six yes. different goal scorers. Yep. Including one for Lewandowski, who had already scored five before. But, and this might sound strange, it was probably... M- one of the more unconvincing 6-1 wins you will see this this season simply because you just felt that Bayern were just trying out lots of different things trying out lots of different players and the individual quality was such that Mainz ultimately just could not cope mm. you know you got uh, Müller coming on you got um, uh, Coutinho playing his first game for, as a starter there, there was just so much happening but not a lot of real team football mm. The idea seems to be very much like last year, which is to put it on the flanks, cross it back, and someone will be there to score. Bingo. Or we score from a free kick, which Alaba did. Ref. Yeah, maybe it is a simple <laughs> game. My team has um, played like that for 36 years. Yeah, what's your team? <laughs> Athletic de Bilbao. Ah. Um, yeah, but they can only choose Basque players. I mean, Bayern are expected to have one of the best teams in, in Europe, and they have a really good squad now, I think it's fair to say, even though there may be somewhat one or two weaknesses, but still not convincing as a collective. And um, that's why, again, the Leipzig game, I think, will be so big because it's the classic matchup between strong individuals and, and the best quality as far as the players is concerned and perhaps the best coach team mm. in the league in Leipzig. Okay. Uh, for a while, you've been telling us about the kind of Game of Thrones going on behind the scenes at Bayern. And there was an important development uh, there last week, briefly, because it is quite a dry subject for the rest of us. No, uh, what it's not happened? dry at all. Okay, you win ahead. or you die. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so, Uli Hoeneß, the Bayern president and uh, the de facto boss of the club since being manager in 1979, so an uninterrupted run of 40 years, has... He's been general manager for 40 years. No, he's been at the club oh, and right, leading right, yeah. the club in one way or the other right. for 40 years, has declared what was already known, that he will not stand for re-election as a president in November. And um, it'll be a big shake-up because Oliver Kahn is coming in as the understudy of Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, chief executive. Mm-hmm. And what are the knock-on effects for Kovac, who's been protected by Oli Hoeneß, for Salihamidzic, the sporting director, who's been protected by Oli Hoeneß. How does Khan fit in in this new sort of Bayern dynamic that will emerge? It's going to be pretty interesting. I look forward to hearing all about those developments. Tell us, though, about Bakary Jatta. I don't know if it's Yatta or Jatta, but... Let's get some chatter on Bakary. <laughs> Just say it as it's supposed to be said in this country. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bakary Yatta is a Gambian player who came to Germany. But which one? Well, he 
Yatta is a Gambian player who came to Germany as a 17-year-old in 2015, was given the opportunity to play on trial for a couple of clubs, and Hamburg actually really liked him and signed him. I gave him a professional contract, and now he's scoring goals in the second division, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful story. However, Sportbild, three weeks ago, came out with a story saying this guy is not actually Bakri Yatta, but Bakri Dafe, who was a former under-20 Gambian international, who played at the same club as, uh, as Yatta did before he um, went to Germany. Yatta in his youth, Dafe as a fully-fledged pro, and they presented eyewitnesses, former coaches who said, yes, this is the same man under a different identity now. But younger, or, I mean, yeah, not, two, not the right age. Yeah, yeah Dafe is, is two and a half years older. Right. Yatta is, is uh, still 19. And there's two areas now where this is going, because on the one hand, of course, you have the German authorities looking into his papers and saying, you know, what, what is going on? So what would he have benefited? Just entry to Germany? Is, is that why he would have misled people about his identity? Apparently, it is easier to get into Germany um, as a refugee if you're underage. Okay. But whether that would have been enough of a reason for, you know, for, for changing the identity, I don't know. The point is that once he was there... He actually got a passport from the Gambia sent to Germany, which the German authorities have declared as totally valid, mm -hmm. which proves his identity as Yatta, as somebody who's born in 98, not 95, not called Dafe. And Hamburg, the club and the player have since also provided a copy of his birth certificate, which bears out the same um, facts. The issue is, though, that the four clubs who were beaten by Hamburg this season have all or three out of four, have lodged a protest. And uh, they want to present somebody from Senegal, one of the clubs that Dafe played for, to say, no, this is actually the same person. Uh, and we'll have to see how that um, sporting uh, trial, if you will, uh, from the disciplinary committee works out. My guess is, though, now that the German authorities have declared that the identity is as he claims, there's not a lot the German FA can really do. But it's, it's an amazing story because, as you can imagine, James, it's been politicized. Mm. A right-wing party jumped onto his, this case saying, oh, this is a classic illegal immigrants cheating us. Um, you know, this is what they always do. Um, at Karlsruhe, there were very unseemly scenes where the, the crowd were booing him at every touch. They weren't really quite sure what it was for, but any explanation was, was not a nice one. Uh, and now, on Sunday, he actually played at home against Hanover and scored a goal, then was substituted late on and got this tremendous applause where everybody had the, the small hair of their neck standing up um, because it was so emotional with the crowd really kind of showing them, you know, it doesn't almost matter who you are, you're one of us. So it's an amazing story, whatever way you want to take it. Uh, and I don't think it's quite over yet. Very good, Rafa. Next up, we're off to Spain. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Alvaro, black armbands are worn across La Liga this weekend in commemoration of the personal tragedy which uh, befell the family of Luis Enrique, the former Spain and Barcelona manager. Uh, in terms of the results, champions dropped points again. Atletico opened up a two-point lead at the top and Real Madrid struggled but were saved by the bail.
We have to remember that Zinedine Zidane, a month and a week ago, he said that I want Gareth Bale out. And if that happens tomorrow, that yeah. would be better. However, he has to resort to Gareth Bale as a desperate option because Gareth Bale has stayed and Real Madrid hasn't bought the players that Zinedine Zidane wanted, being one of them Paul Pogba. So, yeah, Real Madrid got the, got the draw against Villarreal in a game that uh, was never easy and was never going to be easy because Villarreal is very bad defensively, but at the same time, when it comes to attacking, they've got some power force up there and they can uh, really beat uh, any team, especially at home. So, I think that the problem with Real Madrid at the minute is that Zinedine Zidane doesn't know what he wants and I think that time is running out for him because when he arrived at Real Madrid there was this sense of novelty that Zinedine Zidane was going to again bring Real Madrid back to what they were despite not having Ronaldo mm -hmm. and perhaps Zinedine Zidane was going to mm, be the leader of a transition into the new Real Madrid but that is not happening even though yesterday Jovic and Mendy played simply because Jovic and Mendy are not better than what uh, the Real Madrid big stars and the guys who have been winning titles still are. Uh, and also, he hasn't gotten the formation right yet. On Sunday, he played with a 4-4-2 formation. During the pre-season, he played with a 3-5-2 formation. And at the same time, he's playing a 4-3-3 every now and then. So you still don't know what the Real Madrid wants to do, if they want to attack, if they want to be a defensive team, or if they want to be a team that uh, counter-attacks more, uh, more than has the ball. So well, it, it nearly went very badly uh, for them. Gareth Bale with both of Real Madrid's goals and then two yellow cards and, and, and a red to finish off. Yes, uh, well, he was, I would say that he was the focal point of the game and the most important player for Real Madrid because despite all the issues that Gareth Bale may have with Zinedine Zidane, he's still uh, a terrific scorer and uh, at the minute he's a very important player for Real Madrid, more if Eden Hazard is still not there because he won't be back uh, to, the, to the squad until the probably until the beginning of the Champions League or, uh, or until the end of the international break. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Zinedine Zidane's uh, league games results at this stage are 14 games, only six victories, four draws and four losses. This is not what Florentino Perez was looking for when he brought the, the French manager to the team. And even worse, the neighbours across town, Atletico Madrid, are now top of the table. They had a bit of a wobble themselves against Eibar, uh, going 2-0 down. And then uh, Diego Costa set up João Felix for his yeah. first goal. Diego Costa outmuscled the defender, Álvarez, to assist to João Felix. It was a classic Diego Costa play. And that was uh, literally what Atletico needed to, to start uh, and to go for, as we call in Spain, la remontada. It was the first goal of João Felix in La Liga. It's romantada. <laughs> romantada. Yeah. And then Vitolo gets the second one. Yes. And then the gloriously monikered Thomas Partey gets the third one. Yeah, and he got the winning goal. Despite uh, having been like a very controversial choice uh, in the final minutes of the game, because uh, Diego Pablo Simeone decided to uh, remove from the pitch uh, Joe Felix, who is supposed to be the guy who wins those games for you, mm -hmm. and he brought in uh, Thomas, which is something that he has done in the past because he likes uh, to put Thomas in the box and uh, he's a strong guy and he can obviously outmuscle players and score from different positions but he's at the end of the day a midfielder he's not a striker Atletico they're now top of the table two points clear of Athletic de Bilbao who yes. won the derby 2-0 over Real Sociedad and Sevilla up there uh, level on points and then in fourth place you've got Levante and we're at Barcelona oh my word all the way down in 
2008. This is their worst start since when? I think that 2008. Wow. But uh, obviously Barcelona. Guardiola. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, Guardiola. But uh, Guardiola's Barcelona was uh, promising. It was, there was a feeling that uh, there was something new coming up when Barcelona came for Barcelona. With Valverde, it's straight the opposite now. And I think that Barcelona is uh, suffering from, from aggressive teams. I think that uh, Liverpool showed the way to many clubs. If you sit back and wait for Barcelona to have the possession and uh, try to get an, a, a counter-attack on them, then it doesn't work normally. Barcelona ends up beating you probably in the second half and probably because they've got Messi. Messi, who, by the way, hasn't featured in La Liga yet because he's injured. But if you are aggressive at home against Barcelona, then Barcelona suffers. We saw that in Bilbao when the high pressure from Athletic de Bilbao was enough to cut Barcelona's supply in the midfield. And against Osasuna, it was the same story again. Uh, Barcelona couldn't cope with uh, the level of uh, intensity and aggression sometimes of Osasuna, making it very difficult for them to win. And uh, finally, they got a draw. There was a player who scored uh, that uh, deserves a mention, Ansu Fati, in his second game in La Liga, he became the youngest ever scorer for Barcelona mm. at the age of 16, uh, 16 years and 304 days. Right. You're the one for me, Fati. As many people subsequently posted on Twitter, and well done to all of them. Oh, go on, it's your club. Let's hear about Bilbao's win in the derby. It was a good win. It was a good win. And uh, the last team that had uh, beaten Athletic de Bilbao at home, mm -hmm. it was Real Sociedad a year ago. Ah. So there was this... Uh, this feeling that it was the time to beat Real Sociedad again. And uh, they did it comfortably in very good fashion. In fact, Real Sociedad uh, has a tremendous talent in midfield with the likes of Idegard, Oyarzabal, and, um, and also Iyaramendi. Iyaramendi, who got uh, injured during the game, unfortunately. Oh. And Athletic de Bilbao was just simply too aggressive and too good for them. Uh, Iñaki Williams scored the, the first goal of the game. Mm -hmm. The same Iñaki Williams who had been saying uh, in the preview of the game that uh, Athletic de Bilbao had uh, a bigger identity because they are playing with local players and Real Sociedad right. is not, which obviously wasn't very well accepted at San Sebastián. And then Raúl García scored the second goal and uh, Real Sociedad couldn't recover from that. I see. Mezke un club, as, as, as they say. Quick word on Chicharito and his last-minute move uh, from West Ham to Sevilla. That's come a little bit out of the blue? Yes, but Sevilla needs a striker because the young uh, so far is not scoring for Sevilla. Sevilla is a club that has done 12 transfers this summer, 12 plus one with Chicharito Hernández now. How can that work? I really don't know. But uh, Sevilla's sporting director, Monchi, deserves a statue uh, next to Sevilla's ground. Strange as it sounds, Sevilla doesn't have a lot of budget. I mean, they've been in Europe for many years now, mm. playing Champions League sometimes, playing Europa League most of the time. But still, uh, they are not uh, paying as much as an average Premier League club will be paying, for example. So every summer is a summer of reconstruction for them. And uh, I really think that this time Lopetegui is going to find it a bit difficult to make a competitive team. And when I mean competitive, I mean a team that can actually qualify for Champions League this year. Quick word on Portugal, Jules. Did you see that Carlos Carvalhal has been putting meat on the barbecue again? Yes. The former Swansea manager, now in charge of Rio Ave, beating Sporting on Sunday. Liganosh currently still led by Famalacau. Incredible story. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, but they're only one point ahead of Benfica and Porto. That's all very dramatic. Uh, next up, let's hear about the Nice guys. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, it's the moment you've all been waiting for 
France. Woohoo! Titus League in Europe. Yeah, enjoy it, Jules. League. I'm back as well. It's good <laughs> to be back. <laughs> I, had, I had enough of a week in Italy. To be fair. Four teams level on nine points. Incredible. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain ahead on goal difference after their victory at the weekend, 2-0 over Mets. But yeah, that, that, that quartet of leading teams, PSG, Rennes, uh, Nice and Angers. Wow. Huge game as uh, league leading, the previous league leaders, Rennes, lost against Nice, a Nice side now owned by a British billionaire, Jim Ratcliffe. Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Sir, Even. Sir Jim, Jim Ratcliffe, Ratcliffe yeah, right. the, the richest man in the UK. Third, I've got third richest. I, I had first, and Nice were very happy to say that he was the richest. Wow. So Grew up a few miles from where I'm from. Okay. Similar this. hair as well. Similar hair. Similar hair. We both are love you, fracking. Are you, are you um, <laughs> oh, is he, is he, yeah, is that where he made his money? Petrochemical, yeah. With Ineos. Ineos. Yeah. That, Single use fracas? plastics. I'm all in, James. Are you? <laughs> really? Are okay. you worth 21 billion? Close. I'm getting Close. there. I'm yeah. getting there. One he podcast I've got eight, 18 billion here. <laughs> I, we've got wildly differing figures here. He also moved to Monaco for the for the weather. Right, and no other reason. I don't think so. Okay, Not a good. Ticket holder now, in Monaco, clearly. He loves his football. Uh, he owns Swiss second division side Lausanne. Yeah, he's now well. taken over Nice. A lot of people think that he's. Aiming, he's working his way up towards a Premier League side, perhaps one based in West London. But for now, what what does this actually mean for Nice? So it means first that they they've become the uh, the most expensive club in French football history, more than the price the Qatari pay for PSG, more than the Americans pay for Bordeaux or Gerard Lopez paid for Lille, for example, which mm-hmm. is around eighty to ninety million euros. But this is just over hundred million euros, so it's a lot of money. It's a big investment. Uh, and they're hoping that financially he will invest a lot of money into the club. They have a brand new training ground. They have a brand new stadium as well. So the infrastructure-wise, it's a very good investment for him. And already he showed quite some promises because Casper Dolberg arrived from, from Ajax for 25 million euros, bonus included. Uh, Adam Unas came back from Napoli, back to Ligue 1 as well. So there's been interesting transfers in a very short space of time since he took over last week. And the win that they had at Rennes Late in added time as well, 2-1, uh, Patrick Vieira's team, as you said, made them joint leader, mm. which is a very interesting start of the season. And, and hopefully th- there is a lot of optimism right now and a, a big dynamic. It's a club with, with very passionate fans. And we, we saw before the Ultras and in Nice, they're, they're very uh, powerful and very passionate. So they're, they're hoping for a very good spell under the new owner. Between him, the fellow who's taken over at Lille, who's that, sorry? Gerard Lopez. Thank you. Frank McCourt, the Marseille yeah. owner. Uh, is there now almost a set of uh, rivals who can take on Paris Saint-Germain almost on their own terms? Well, that's, that's the hope for sure. And you've got Chinese investors in Lyon as well to, to boost a bit the, um, the money in there. As I said, Bordeaux have been taken over by some Americans as well who have a lot of money, Joe uh, the Grosser, in to put into the club as well. So it's very interesting and it seems that Liga is quite attractive to, to foreign investors. Not that, you know, they, I don't think they will spend billions, but at least they, they, they're doing things quite cleverly and they are spending money and investing money. So it's a very good thing for the league. And now let's see on the pitch what they can do. But if you look at what Nice are doing with Dolberg and Unas and those kind of young but very talented players, I think they can push PSG a little bit, especially this PSG team that is... Currently, have been in in soft crisis. Marseille got another win. They can't stop winning now under Andre Villas-Boas. This one was against Saint Etienne. That's huge. Yeah, big game, and it was the, the 120th anniversary. Ooh. So it was a big, big evening at the Velodrome. Thank God it was the the birthday because the game was really, really poor. It was really boring. Neither team played well. Uh, 
Saint-Étienne, who are basically the sort of like, how can I put it nicely? The, the idea was to bring back all those former internationals. So Debussy, Mvila, Kabay, Boudbouz, you know, all those guys who were very good at some point in Ligue 1 and now are quite old for some of them, to bring them back all together and play together, which mm -hmm. is a nice idea. Mm -hmm. It's not really working <laughs> so far. And Marseille got a win, but the atmosphere in the ground was incredible. It was a very special night for them. You know, 120 years of history is, is amazing. And Dario Benedetto, who's been the, the biggest signing and... Mm -hmm. A lot of hope around him, the, the Argentine striker, has scored his second goal in two games now. After remember he missed the penalty in his first game against Nantes, Dimitri Payet should have taken it. He gave him the ball. He missed Adil Rami, who you know was sacked recently. I was also finding a club in Turkey. That's Fenerbahce, nice, isn't it? like we yeah. said, you know, hmm. Turkish club investing. What won't happen though, despite all those months of chat, is Neymar's move away. How did that all break down? The the, the rumor says that. Barca were never really seriously in him. Oh, really? To him. Uh, I think they could never afford him anyway. Mm -hmm. I think they never had the money that PSG wanted. PSG were very happy to sell him, but in their own terms. And those terms were never, ever in contention for Barca to reach them anyway. So I think it was for a long time chatting for chatting. Mm. And that was pretty much it. It's funny how uh, Real Madrid and PSG, they've got a really good contact. And for instance, Keylor Navas, departed to PSG. That's uh, true. Yeah. Alfonso yeah. Areola, yeah. uh, the other goalkeeper, goes on loan to Real Madrid. But Barcelona and uh, PSG, uh, for uh, many reasons and things that happened in the past, don't have uh, such a good uh, contact. But uh, this old Neymar transfer saga has been really bad for Barcelona because it has created a sense of provisionality in the club. The lacks of Rakitic, Dembélé, Todibo, Umtiti as well. Uh, they were offered in the, yeah. in the Neymar transfer. And Ernesto Valverde, Barcelona manager, had to cope with that, with players that knew that they were being offered. Wow, yeah. So I think it's not very easy for Barcelona and for Valverde to work like that. I think it's embarrassing for, for a big club like Barcelona to yes. go into a negotiation like this where PSG said, listen, we're very happy to sell him to you. Just, you know, just come with a, with a proper offer or something good. And instead, they're trying to like negotiate and say, like, oh, we'll give you a bit of this and what about him? And look, him players that don't even want to, to move, don't even want to go to Paris. I thought it was embarrassing from the beginning. Yeah, Two little things. First, yes. Monaco, who are second from bottom, horror on the start of the season. Big summer for them. 20 players left, 14 arrived. Wow. The latest being uh, Slimani, for example, from Leicester yeah. on loan, who actually has done well. He scored, scored two goals again this weekend, but they still can't win. No wins in four for them, which is their worst start in 18 years. Uh, it was Didier Deschamps in his first year at the club who had to wait six match days before his first win and ended up finished 15th. So it, it wasn't all Cherry Henry's fault then? It wasn't. It was not all Cherry. Um, there's clearly deeper problems and deeper issues at the club. I think the the whole trading business system with players leaving, players arriving, coming back, etc. We see Bakayoko, who left for Chelsea not so long ago, coming back to the club now on loan. I don't think that helps. Uh, but it'd be very interesting to, to see how they cope now with the with the few games um, few games to go and then the next game after the international break is at home to Marseille so the big Mediterranean Ooh. derby which could prove another not so successful game for them so it could get worse for Monaco and finally the, the story of the weekend in France oh, is yeah? a young player called Kevin Denki who plays for uh, Nîmes who's only 18 Togo International who uh, has scored two goals now in Ligue 1 each time after coming on 
The first game, he had to wait 50 seconds, and on his first touch, he scored against Monaco last weekend. Uh -huh. And this weekend, he had to wait 60 seconds, and on his first touch, he scored uh, against Dijon, which is, he's, he touched the ball seven times so far in the league this season, and has scored two goals. It's an wow. incredible story. He arrived in France at 12 as a migrant on his own. He went to a foster care and was excellent at football and has made his way into the Nîmes Academy and has been very promising since the start of the season. So the Nîmes Academy... Or the Dream Academy. <laughs> That's extraordinary. How do you say super sub? Uh, or impact sub in super French? Super remplaçant. Oui? Okay. <laughs> okay. I think you would like that story. Super replacement. Right. Um, very good. All right, much more to come from the guys as we take a look at the Champions League draw and more. Right now, though, here is producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jim. By Lee Price from Paddy Powers on the line. Lee, let's start with a bit of Italy, please. Gonzalo Higuain, the forgotten man of Juventus, scored at the weekend. Uh, so what are the chances of him finishing with the season with the golden boot? Yeah, and what a goal it was. Lovely finish. And who would expect to see that? Higuain in the Juventus shirt on the pitch. He's not the favourite in this market, though. A certain teammate of his, Cristiano Ronaldo, is 15-8. to 8. He wins a golden boot in Italy this season. Romelu Lukaku's made a good start to life at Inter. He's second favourite at 3-1. Higuain's down the bet and around fifth in the market at 14-1. The same price as Christoph Piontek. Over to Spain and another forgotten man, sort of. It's Gareth Bale. He's still in the headlines. What are the odds of him seeing out his contract, still being at the Bernabeu then, uh, for 2022? <laughs> Things like that Gareth Bale performance is why I love football. Totally unscriptable, totally unbelievable. And yet here we are. So could I really rule out him seeing out his contract at the Bernabeu? Yes. It's 8-1 to one that he does see out his contract. It's another three years, bear in mind. It's more likely, of course, that he moves on. The favourites for his next destination would be PSG or Bayern Munich, both 5-1, to one, or China, where he was so close to going in the summer, 8-1 to one he goes there. And finally, Lee, the big game in Euro qualifiers this weekend is Germany versus the Netherlands. That's Friday night. The Dutch had the upper hand in the Nations League, so which way is this going? Well, this is the perfect example of why the traders at Power Tower do the number stuff and I do the talky stuff. I would have found this very difficult to price, very difficult to separate these two teams, the traders less so. Germany 5-6, to six, odds on to win this game. What am I missing there? Holland 5-2 to two to get the win and the draws 11-4. Surely it's closer than that. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It is over 18s only, terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, we had Pedro Pinto on the show last week ahead of the Champions League draw. Everybody enjoy that? Love Cantona's speech, James. Yeah. At least he didn't do that trick with the egg this time. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Cantona, who, who came around in a red, red shirt and flat cap and gave an extraordinary speech. You possibly, I think you were... Mm. Bloody, you were and also the Ronaldo Messi... That was a lovely chat well, with uh, Reshman. Well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Very nice. The draw itself, Champions League, eight groups... One stands out in particular. Is that fair? I think so. Definitely, mm. yeah. Yes. Group F, Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan and Slavia Prague. It's exactly what Barcelona needs, believe it or not. Because uh, that sense of provisionality I was talking about, this Champions League group is going to be a wake-up call for Barcelona. They need to play wow. big teams straight You're away. You're predicting they're going out, Alfred. Wow. You're well, going to say wow. they're exiting at the <laughs> yeah. group stage. Yeah, that's what you're saying. I think that Barcelona is going to go through in the same way that they did against Spurs and um, Inter last season. But at the same time, Barcelona, it seems like they need to play big games straight away just to wake up. 
The Champions League is going to be an excellent wake-up call for Barcelona, and the first game of Barcelona is in the Signal Iduna Park against the Borussia Dortmund. Right. So that's exactly what they need, believe it or not. Okay, might be exactly what Borussia Dortmund need, the way that their season starts. <laughs> well, Dortmund might find it easier in a strange way to play against Barcelona than right. against Union, but yeah, amazing game. They've never played each other in regular European competition. Is that right? Uh, only once in the uh, UEFA Super Cup, when Dortmund won the Champions League. And Barcelona must have won the UEFA Cup the year before. So Slavia Prague, where they enjoyed that draw a lot. There were lots of uh, scenes of their their chuckling, chuckling. Yeah. Uh, what was Inter's reaction to getting to returning <laughs> to the Champions League and getting? Uh, they caught Beppe Marotta kind of just looking over his shoulder, like, "This isn't what we paid for." But on the other hand, yeah. I can see why Slavia Prague were celebrating because. Yeah, you might never get that opportunity. You want the big games. And mm. it was the same with Atalanta. Yeah. Although Atalanta look at it and think, we can maybe get out of this group with Man City, so Man Shakhtar. S yeah, and Dinamo Zagreb. Yeah. Shakhtar and Man City, who have drawn each other for the third straight season. Other old friends meeting up again. Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. Jules, are Paris Saint-Germain going to blow it again? I think they will, they will qualify. Club Bruges and Galatasaray. Although Galatasaray are investing a lot of money today with, with Falcao and Lemina and... <laughs> Florin Andone and super team. I, I, I don't know anymore with PSG, but I would think that the real... You're a broken man. I am. <laughs> I am. I need a holiday. Uh, the Real Madrid PSG games, you would yeah. think, would be to, to decide who finished top of the group. Uh-huh. Um, and okay. they were quite happy in Paris about the draw. They were. Okay, Ju Juventus have drawn Atletico Madrid again. That went well for them last time. Ronaldo with that hat-trick. The rest of the group... Leverkusen. And locomotive. And locomotive. And, and they don't take us granted that Atletico will go through because two years ago they were uh, kicked out by Chelsea. Chelsea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the true. Champions League group stage. When Leverkusen played against Atletico a couple of years ago in the last 16, it went to penalties. Yeah. What about the Premier League sides? Uh, Spurs in with Bayern Munich, Rafa, Olympiacos and Plumbing's Red Star Belgrade. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting group because uh, Red Star really strong at home, won two out of three. Um, at home last season and uh, Bayern and Spurs have never played each other in the modern era hmm. as you will uh, last two meetings they back to the early 80s so okay. um, interesting you really clearly interesting weren't watching the Audi Cup this summer <laughs> yeah I mean yeah so there's that to look forward to <laughs> Liverpool Liverpool have got Napoli in their group which is not a Again. tough group Napoli in the group again Salzburg and Genk the other two teams there so uh, yeah Oh, a couple of trap games in there. Come on. Salzburg are good. Salzburg are good. Okay, tell Come me more. On. Come well, on. Yeah. They're okay. They lost their manager. Yeah, but Jesse Marsh, their new manager, sure, is doing really well. Something else. Genk arguably have the best recruitment team in Europe. Produced a lot of great players. When you list the players that have gone through that club, it's yeah. remarkable. Yeah, gone through that club. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there'll be there'll still there'll be some yeah. there. I'm trusting stars Genk, are tomorrow. Know? That's why they're always there in the late stages of this competition. <laughs> uh, Chelsea. What about Chelsea's group? Ajax, Valencia, and Lille. Banana skins there. I'm, I'm, I love this group. I it's think that group. I think that is very good. Perhaps it doesn't have the you know like the quality of uh, Barcelona, Borussia, and Inter Milan group. But at the same time, it's really really leveled I think are they going to struggle in that group with Ajax, Valencia and Lille they could yeah, yeah Lille it depends if Rodrigo if Rodrigo yeah. bueno, stays at Valencia it makes a big difference to and, them and Valencia is much better than uh, what they were last season when they drew with Manchester United and Juve they oh, are yeah. much more composed and they won the Spanish Cup back in May 
I mean, they, they have improved a lot ever since last year. Alvaro, aren't there big issues, though, at the club? Peter Lim. Yes, there are. There are, but it looks like the manager and uh, Matteo Alemani, uh, who is the sporting director, they are going to forget about the Peter Lim says. They're going to try to stay oblivion to all that and uh, stick to the players and, and try to do it as best as possible. There is no hint that none of them is going to resign. For okay. example, which is something that could have happened, considering that Peter Ling was asked uh, for some players, the Rafinha on loan, and uh, probably another striker, and Peter Ling didn't bring any of those players. A quick word before we move on, unless there's anything else from the Champions League that you want to... Just on Lille, they're back in the Champions League, they, they have a really young team and they'd be very excited to play. They're not going to qualify, Okay, but, but they would be playing with, with no pressure. Nothing. And it's really worth a trip because you can go on the Eurostar, it's very easy to get to and it's a beautiful city. Yeah. That's Good nice. Team. Great stadium as well. Fantastic stadium. Atlanta will be back in their stadium by the time the Champions League. No, they're mm. playing in Milan, no? They're, oh, playing, they're playing San in Siro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're playing them at San Siro. Okay. Champions League games at San Siro, yeah. Oh, okay. That's exciting. Mm. Uh, how are they going to do in the Champions League? People saying it's going to be the classic Pep beats them 3 0 and says <laughs> they're the best team he's ever faced. <laughs> Is yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me in the, in the slightest. Uh, I do believe that Atlanta can get through this group, though. Okay. Um, because I think it couldn't have gone better for them. Yeah, we saw that sometimes, I think, for City, um, getting up for these group games is complicated. We, we saw it with Leon last year, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, Atlanta have the mentality that I think is quite similar to a lot of Premier League teams in the kind of intensity, aggression that they play at. Um, and we saw them do very well a couple of years ago in Europe, in Europa League, in, yeah. uh, against um, very highly regarded opposition, be it beating Lyon, going to Goodison and smashing Everton, playing really well and being unlucky to go out against Dortmund. Um, so, you know, I think they've got a real chance uh, okay. of making the next round. James. Finally, then, Europa League, I mean, is huge. So is there a team that you guys have got your eyes on you think could be a surprise in the Europa League this year? Maybe plucky Man United. I'm not sure who. <laughs> some niche size. Uh, I think like you have to really like Arsenal again. Finish. Do the Champions League clubs uh, that get third in their group yes. go to the Europa League? Yeah. That changes the landscape again completely. It does. I will, maybe my favourite to win the Europa League is Inter Milan. Doesn't matter. Barcelona shot they finish third. They can win the Europa League. If they fall into the Europa League. I can guarantee you that they are not winning it. Right. Well, Messi won't be travelling to play Europa League football. Is that right? right. Well, the Premier League <laughs> teams joke. have pretty much broken Spanish dominance of dominance. this competition. For one year, yeah. Well, two of the last three, no? Well, with um, United winning under Mourinho. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Pretty exciting, the prospect of the European competition getting back underway. Uh, in the meantime, we've got an international break, which is going to be ever so exciting. It's so exciting that we won't be here next Tuesday with the uh, Totally Football Show European edition, but we will return in a fortnight. Uh, loads of other great podcasting content for you to enjoy in the meantime. But many thanks, listener, for being with us today. And thanks for Alvaro, James, Rafa and Julien for joining us here on the Totally Football Show. Have yourselves a great international break. Best luck to all concerned, and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter, and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>